Today on Beauty and the Babble, we have Dr. Bolsowitz. He's an award-winning gastroenterologist, internationally recognized gut health expert, and the New York Times best-selling author of Fiber Fueled and soon to be the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. He is also launching an amazing line of fiber, and I am so excited to have him on because he is a wealth of information um, and a gut master. Welcome, Dr. Bulsowitz. Well, let's. I want to take it back to the beginning. How you got your start to be Mr. Dr. Bulsowitz? Um, all right. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. <laughs> uh, so, going back as far as is like sort of relevant, like aside from my childhood and stuff like that. Um, when I was a teenager, I, I decided I wanted to be a medical doctor, and that sort of set me off on this journey. That you know pre-med in college, went to medical school for four years. And basically like the, the entire journey, if you include college, medical school, and then my training afterwards was 16 years. Wow. So I was 34 years old when I finished this up. I, I, I never took any time off. I worked straight through. I was 34 years old and I entered into the world of taking care of patients independently as a medical doctor. And the issue from my perspective is that like, I still believe in conventional healthcare, but I could see the flaws so profoundly and it bothered me and, and I can't help, but like adhere to the reason that I started doing this in the first place when I was a teenager. And so to me, that means like, if you know that something's important for your patients and will help them, that's what you do. And it doesn't matter if the system makes that hard. And so it wasn't necessarily easy, but I like, I basically, you know, at that point, and we can get into this more if you want to, but at that point I was completely convinced based upon my own life experiences that diet and lifestyle are an essential part of human health. And so if that's true, and that's like sort of the root of everything, then why are we not talking about this as medical doctors? We should be. And that's, so that's how I ended up where I am. I agree. And there's a big conversation to be had here because I think of our bodies like machines, which we will get into later. Um, but you're very lucky because a lot of people, even people I talk to today, like my age and older, they still aren't certain exactly is what that what they want to do. And the fact that you had this revelation as a teenager is amazing. I would love to know, I guess, what kind of influences as a child uh, and things you saw, maybe it's your parents, maybe it was your community, why you decided on this at, at such a young age. Well, I didn't, I, I guess to be clear, my vision was to become a medical doctor. Yes. That was the dream. And I, in my mind, elevated the system and the doctors and the hospitals and the universities like to an extreme where those were my heroes. I think that a lot of it, like that's it's a, it's a challenging question for me because- Why I'm here. Well, because part of it is, this is just who I am. And, and it's always been that way since the time that I was a little child. And um, an interesting thing happened to me in the last know, a couple of years, two years maybe, where I was at a family gathering and my uncle was there. And he basically pulled me aside and told me, he's like, I always knew that you would be like this Dang. from being at a young age. And like, he started pointing out these things about me that I think are just like personality based. Um, but for me, the dream, I was probably a little too, I, I felt like I could be the one to fix the world. Yeah. There was a little too much of that. 
And I don't want to say that I'm cynical now. I try to stay away from that as much as I can, even though it's so easy to slip down that slope. For sure. But I, um, but I, I kind of thought that I could be the person to try to change the world. And that was really what inspired this in the first place was like, I, I want to work to help people. I want to do something good. And when the effort is like towards that goal, then no matter what happens, it's good. It's good effort. Yeah. No, that's amazing because most people aren't in touch with themselves like that until way later on. So that's that's really remarkable that you had that desire at a young age and that was your dream and you are living even a better version of your dreams. Uh, and I also um, saw that you had your own health journey, as we all do, that you've had um, some various issues over the 10 years. I would love to hear about your personal health journey. And, and I'm sure, you know, that had to do and also seeing some of your clients, what inspired you to go, may, maybe I'm stepping out of line by saying this, slightly more of like this holistic route. Yeah, I feel like the word holistic has like implications in today's world. Yeah. It doesn't have to. For sure. We're just talking about taking care of people and helping them. I agree. Air five. Thank you. By the way, I give great high fives. I know you can't like realize that through through the screen, but I give awesome high fives. Um, so, I mean, I just, I just think that it's like we, um, we tend to apply labels to stuff and it doesn't have to have a label in order for us to understand like an essential thing, which is that this is an important part of what, what, um, makes us human and promotes health and vitality and simultaneously can in a way disrupt that. And I had to learn that myself. Yeah. And that was a bizarre sobering moment um because during the process of pursuing this so I, I guess let's go back to when i was a teenager like in high school I played three sports what were they i uh i played i was the captain of the basketball team i was the captain of the soccer team and i played tennis wow captain tennis yeah <laughs> there's an entire story there but i think it's beyond the bounds of this uh show but anyway no it's not please uh, we would love to hear it. The more details we get to know about the foundation of you as the human, the more the proverbial we, me and the podcast viewers love. I was a good athlete. I never played tennis. I never had a tennis racket until my senior year of high school. And uh, my friends and I thought, you know what? The weather is good. School year is almost done. Let's play tennis. Like, it was just like, that was literally what it was like hanging out, like, let's play tennis. And so I got, um, three lessons. So for anyone who's played tennis, I learned how to volley. That was the first lesson. So that's like the easy, like you're at the net and you just do a gentle tap. I learned how to do a forehand. So like, you know, um, forward stroke, I learned how to do a backhand. So backward stroke, I never learned how to surf. And I went and I joined the team and it was with like my buddies and the coach was super cool. And he was basically like, look, come play tennis. Like, I don't care if you take this seriously or not. So we were on this tennis team. It was our senior year. We spent probably 80% of practice time standing by the net talking about girls. And it didn't matter because like there were the starters, like there were the people that really played. And then there was us. And we were just like the dudes who were there. <laughs> and so then one day, everyone on the team got either sick or hurt. So the coach was like, Bolsowitz, you're in, you're the number six singles, right? So basically like the way that it's all organized on a high school level is like, 
there are six single matches and then there's three double matches. So if you are the number six single, then basically you're playing the number six guy from their team. Yeah. So she isn't the best guy, right? So here I am, I'm six foot four and I'm playing against this guy who is like super small and skinny. And I think he was wearing like rec specs, like super thick glasses. <laughs> and, um, but like he could serve and I couldn't. And so when I served, this dude was smashing me, like pounding the ball, um, and scored every single, like every single time I served, he scored basically. Yeah. When he served, I probably scored 75% of the time, but I didn't score enough. And he, so he beat me. So anyway, that was my stupid tennis story. I'm super big on tennis. It's like my non-negotiable to play twice a week. So I enjoyed that story. Okay. That's great. Um, I now have a seven-year-old son and he and I will, and in Charleston has beautiful weather and a great, like sort of thriving tennis scene. So we will often go and play tennis just for fun. I hope you're teaching him how to surf. I can't. I don't know how. I still don't know. And so I, I mean, I could teach him a, a volley and a forehand and a backhand. That's it. Anyway, I come from this place of like, this is who I was. My uh, self-image was as an athlete. And as I got through my twenties, like the work ramped up so hard on me and I had to make choices because there just wasn't any time. So like the majority of this period of my life, I'm working six days a week and like 15 hours a day. And I grew up in a home where it was completely normal for me to come home from school and make hot dogs or a microwave burrito. Where are you from originally? State New York. That's why I'm Jersey. So we had a lot of hot dogs. There you go. Uh, so we could probably talk about the brands and which ones we like. And, um, and that, that was my life. And I never really thought that the food could catch up to me because I thought I was invincible. Yeah. And so, but then I started, like I was going through my twenties, I had no time. So to me, stopping at Taco Bell and spending $20 was delicious and it was cheap and it tasted good. And for like two seconds, I felt good. And then I would have to lay on the couch and like where, you know, work off the, uh, the food hangover for like three hours. So, but that was my life and I didn't think it would catch up to me, but then it was like right around the time that I was 30, I, obviously this is like a progressive thing. It didn't just come out of nowhere, but you just like feel like you have this moment where I'm like looking at myself in the mirror and I'm just like, uh, you know, like no shirt on. And I'm just like, what the heck happened? Yeah. And I was 50 pounds overweight. I had high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I had tons of gut issues, lots of food intolerances. I was depressed, anxious, and I had profoundly low self-esteem. And it's crazy because actually I was like incredibly well accomplished. I mean, I had like gone to the medical school of my dreams. I won out of 60 people at Northwestern, the one award, only one person gets this award out of 60. I got it. So chief resident was on a grant from the NIH, like things were going so well for me professionally and I hated myself and I was miserable and I knew that things needed to change. I knew there was a problem. I didn't, you didn't have to ask that. Um, and I tried to exercise my way out of it and it didn't work. And I would like do like literally almost every day, 45 minutes of strength training. And then like, if it was winter time, I would jump on the treadmill and do a five to a 10 K. And if it was summertime, I jumped in the pool and I did 50 or 100 winks of the pool. I could grow stronger, didn't look any better, really, to be honest. The gut was not going away. So, and what changed my life was actually when I met the person who, like, surprisingly, she's my wife now. <laughs> and we have three kids. We were about to have our fourth. 
Congratulations. And this was um, a little over 10 years ago. And I remember we were in, I was in North Carolina at the time. And we went out to this restaurant called Acme and I got my usual, which was a pork chop. And my, it was not my wife, but like she was just, this was a first date. She was like, I'm not even going to order off the menu. She basically just pulled the, the uh, waiter aside and said, can you grab me these sides? Like I'll take the black eyed peas, the collard greens, you know, um, the sweet potato and just put them on a plate for me. Styled. Yeah. And she kind of like, uh, discreetly ordered plant-based without me even knowing what that is. Yeah. So I was just curious, like, what is the deal with this person? But what I saw like quite visibly is she looks healthy. She seems to be thriving. She looks amazing. Um, and she eats her food and she loves it. And she's, she's like super happy with her dish and I eat my food and yes, I do enjoy it, but I also feel like trash afterwards and I need to go home and go to bed. Yeah. And so just kind of opened my mind, maybe the food that I eat, like it seems so obvious now, but maybe the food that I eat is in fact the problem. And it started me on this path of like the first moment was when I made the decision that this is like literally true rather than going to Hardee's where I could get 2000 calories for five bucks rather than doing that. I'm going to go home and I'm going to make a smoothie because that's easy. So I can handle this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a single guy in my early thirties. I can handle a smoothie. And I did that. And I made like a, literally like a probably close to 40 ounce smoothie. And instantly I felt the difference. I was energized. I felt light. I felt like things that were missing. My body was missing from a nutritional perspective were there and invigorating me. Um, I went to the gym afterwards, smashed a workout. And the thing is, what's important here is not just that. What's important is the counterpoint, like where I was before and then where I was when I did this. And when you are in a place of misery, you want nothing more than to figure a way to feel better. Yeah. Because I felt better. It inspired me to say, you know what? I want to feel that way tomorrow too. And so I came back and I did it again and again and again. Next thing you know, it was a habit. And then I expanded and I, I you know, got rid of the three packets of Splenda, like high fat cream that I was doing in my coffee and started drinking it black um, and got rid of most, it was a process, most of the Diet Mountain Dew that I was drinking. Um, I'm not perfect. Uh, <laughs> I like basically it was a transition and it did take me some time, but it completely transformed my life and the 50 pounds of extra weight melted off my body. The blood pressure pills went in the trash. My, uh, my mood with like was so much better and my self-esteem surged and I became the way that I think that a person should feel when they're thriving in their early thirties. And so when you have a moment like this, because of what I do for a living as a medical doctor, you go, if this is that powerful for me imagine what it can do for my patients yeah so and that's that's the moment where it was like i was compelled this had to be done and that's really what leads us to where we are today that's incredible and i'm sure i know it had a profound impact on your practice and your customers so which led you to write the book five refueled <laughs> so at what point in your career did you write this book and then i would love to um 
start going into some of the contents in it, which I'm sure is just very much kind of how you like to sustain your gut microbiome. So 20, like 13-ish, 2012, 2013-ish is when this whole sort of transition that I'm talking about happened. And so in 2014 is like me starting to bring this into my practice. I'm seeing people having amazing changes. People with like your old bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, all sort of colitis, acid reflux. Like I'm seeing amazing things happening with these people. So I get to a point where I'm like, I need to share this story. People deserve to hear this, whether you are my patient or not my patient. This was not a play to like become a celebrity doctor. That is not what I envisioned in any way. I was a doctor, I was in practice, and I wanted to share a message. And so that was 2016. I started my Instagram account. I never used social media prior to this. For a couple of years, people really didn't care. It was very humble. Again, this was not like a rapid thing where I instantly knew that this was going to turn into something. And in 2018, I did a podcast and it went viral. And in that moment, when that podcast went viral, there's something going on here. There's an energy. And I feel like I need to bottle this energy. And my wife is like, you need to write a book. And that led to, there's a story to this too, but I don't want to take too much time on this other stuff, but. I love this other stuff. I think that perseverance is really important. So when I made this decision in August of 2018, a lot of people told me this was not going to work or not going to happen. And I stuck with it. And I found a literary agent who believed in me and my message. And this led to me getting my book deal in November of 2018, which was just like crazy because I'm like in New York going to Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster, um, HarperCollins, like all of them. And going on this book, like basically publishing tour of New York City with my literary agent. So I get a book deal in 2018. And the bottom line is that I wrote the book in 2019. It came out in May of 2020. So like right when the pandemic was getting insane. And all of my major podcasts that I was like supposed to fly to LA and do like ritual, for example, I was supposed to go on rituals show. They all had to cancel on me because of the pandemic. So I didn't really like have the ability to do my marketing plan, but my practice was essentially shut down. Like we didn't have the ability to see patients or do colonoscopies and, and upper endoscopies, which is what you know, I did as a gastroenterologist. Yeah. So basically I was like, you know, pretty sure most people are like me. Um, they have time on their hands right now and they are probably online. So why don't I just go meet them there instead of like having to worry about, you know, a book tour where I'm like at a book shop and I just do a book tour using my phone. Yeah. And the strategy like really worked. And so my book Fiber Fuels made the New York Times bestseller list. Um, it was an unexpected thing. Shocking to me. I didn't think this would happen. I was humble doctor from Charleston, South Carolina. And it made the New York Times bestseller list and it kept going and going and going. And now I don't know what the exact number is, but like more than 300,000 copies sold. My second book came out in 22 called The Fiber Field Cookbook. It's all about food intolerances. It's actually more of a protocol for food intolerances than it is a cookbook. But if you want a cookbook, it's there. And here we are. And there's been so much that's changed in my life. And it's just been unexpected, really cool, sometimes really hard, but overall, like extremely satisfying and completely still in line with the original mission. Well, I am massively passionate about your mission. And I, you know, got into my own health journey and 
just the things I learned about the gut microbiome, like the fact that we have these galaxies in us, right? And so many people just don't know the extent of it. Like when you're experiencing like all that anxiety and not feeling good about yourself, it like all comes from the gut. So I would love your professional, everyone has like their own way of describing the gut microbiome. I would like to hear yours and then I would love to start really getting into it. And I know that you're huge on healing the gut. And, you know, you say that even like one meal can make a difference and even in 24 hours what you could do. So I would like to your snapshot of the gut, <laughs> your rendition, if you will. And then we could start going into um, all the things that kind of aid making your gut the best it could be. So we talk about the gut microbiome. We're talking about invisible microorganisms that are a part of our body mostly bacteria, also including things like fungi or these really interesting things called archaea. And they coat and cover all external parts of our body. So from the top of our head to the tip of our toes, they're there. You just can't see them, but they're on our skin. They're literally on our eyeball, in our nose, and our mouth. But the area where they're most concentrated is inside of our intestines, specifically our colon, which is the large intestine. And they're there with a purpose. They uh, have set up shop inside of us and they have built what is truly an ecosystem, much like a jungle. This is their home and they exist and survive because of the environmental conditions that we provide for them. So in essence, when we eat, they eat. The food that goes in our mouth ultimately works its way down to where they live and they get a part of that. And the other choices that we make or the other aspects of who we are as a person ultimately will shape our microbiome. It's food is probably the most powerful driver, but it's also how we move, exercise, sleep, stress, um, how much of that we have and the way that we deal with it, who we live with, pets, whether or not we have pets, um, environmental toxins or exposures or other things, all these different factors that really kind of shape our environment also on a microscopic level, shape their environment. And the beauty and exciting thing about the microbiome is that it's so forgiving. It can change so quickly and it can heal. And so it's an opportunity for all of us. We evolved with these microbes. The very first person that ever existed had a microbiome. There's never been a moment or a person who did not have a microbiome. We all do. And that evolutionary process was more than just even human history. I would make the argument that this goes all the way back to the beginning of the earth, that that's what started and, and revved up, snowballed from there and led to eventually us as humans having a microbiome. And so because that history is so long, they're a part of all of it. And because of that, over time, we grew to trust them with really important parts of how we work as humans. To the point that they embedded themselves in our physiology. We can't properly function without them. But with them, we are the best versions of ourselves. So they're connected to our digestion. That's the classic thing. But they're also connected to our immune system, our metabolism, our hormones, our mood, our cognition, and even the ways in which we express our genetic code. Uh, you mentioned a moment ago that talk about how they can change in 24 hours. And that is scientifically the truth. Um, it's been demonstrated that the choices that you make today by tomorrow will already start to have an effect. I'm not saying a complete overhaul, but by tomorrow you will already start to see an effect in your microbiome. 
And the snowball analogy is a good one because if you make that choice consistently, day after day, you start to build momentum over time and that momentum transforms into something that can be really special and good. But simultaneously, if our gut is neglected in the current environment that we live in, the current culture that we live in, we're going to have issues. I think that's super powerful simply because there's so many people that like to wait. They're like, okay, I'll wait till January 1st. I'm going to make changes. But your life is now and tomorrow's not guaranteed. So wouldn't everyone want to feel so good? I love that. I love sending that message out to the world that, you know, a simple change, you don't need to go, like you said, like full tilt, but a simple change could really impact you tomorrow. So if a simple change could impact you tomorrow, and I know it looks different for everyone, but what would like what would you recommend if someone's like, okay, if I could be changed tomorrow, where would you start them to start improving their gut health and healing their gut? I have an expression that I adhere to. It's called progress over perfection. And the reason why is because no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your life and the choices that you've made, all you have to do is a little bit better. And there's no judgment. I come from a place of probably having the worst diet out of anyone. I was actually known among my friends for this. I kind of feel like that is the choice is like, let's focus not on what you have to be, right? Let's focus on one small choice that could be difference making if you do it again. And to me, the best choice is the sustainable choice. Because again, if you project to like, I need to follow this pattern you know, this, this like sort of diet or whatever we want to call it, there's a reason why they fail because you're trying to shoehorn something that's completely unnatural, right? On the flip side, if you were to make one small choice and actually do it for the rest of your life, you would have massive benefits far beyond what you get from that crash diet. Yeah. Now, let's say you're kind of getting into timing. So like, how long does it take? So like, yes, one day you start to shift your microbiome. The evidence that I've seen really suggests to me that after about four weeks of sustained changes, you will definitely have a significant impact on your microbiome. So obviously fermented foods is a good one, but what, and I agree with you, the crash diets, like I go crazy on some of these diets. Like they're not, everyone's so different of what they can and can't tolerate. And it's like kind of like working out. If you go from zero to 60, you're never going to want to do it again. So I, I guess what are some little changes you would recommend for people to incorporate to start seeing a shift to build to gut greatness? Um, well, obviously I'm a huge believer in fiber. You don't say. (laughs) I've written two books where that's the title and I sincerely believe, like I couldn't anymore believe that if we simply addressed this nutritional deficiency, that we would transform the health of America in a powerful light. It's not the only thing that matters and no way am I trying to make that claim. But if we did fix this, like. America would be so much better. I it would be so much healthier. So what I'm getting at is that fiber, first of all, is underconsumed in the modern world. There's an amount that's recommended, and the recommended amount is, by the way, the minimum, not the optimal, the minimum. That amount is 38 grams a day for men and 25 grams a day for women. The average man in the United States gets 18. The average woman gets 15. That's less than half for men of what they're supposed to do. And women are profoundly low. I mean, women are 40% below where they're supposed to be. 
95% of Americans are not hitting these lower levels of the minimum recommended amount. And the reason why this is important is not because fiber is this inert thing that just passes through our intestines and shoots out the other side as a poop. There's a more attractive, interesting part to the story than that, which is that fiber is something that we as humans cannot digest, but our microbes can. So it becomes their food because you know that the only way it can be broken down is by these microbes. So it passes through the intestines, 20 feet of intestines to arrive in the large intestine where these microbes live. Then they go to work with their enzymes, breaking it down. And what happens is magical. They release from the fiber something new that is nutritionally powerful called short-chain fatty acids. There's three main ones, butyrate, acetate, and propionate. And um, these short-chain fatty acids, I can confidently say in my more than 20 years of study in medicine, these are by far the most anti-inflammatory healing thing I've ever come across. So when fiber meets microbes, something special happens, it's magical, it produces these short-chain fatty acids. And this is the reason why in the largest study of fiber ever done, they found that people who consume more fiber, they live longer, they're less likely to have a heart attack, they're less likely to die of heart disease, they're less likely to be diagnosed with multiple forms of cancer, including colon cancer, breast cancer, esophageal cancer, less likely to die of cancer, or less likely to be diagnosed with diabetes, less likely to have a stroke. Uh, they lose weight, they lower their blood pressure, they lower their cholesterol. And as I sit here and think about many of the issues that we have in the United States today from a health perspective, just this one study, by the way, there's so much more that we could talk about. I know. Oh my mind. I want to ask this and this and this. So, but that's just, that's just what happens when we consume more fiber. This is not all of the benefits. This is just some of the benefits. But if you think about what's happened in the United States today, I just listed four of the top 10 causes of death and told you we could reduce our risk. To me, this is like where the money is at. And it actually does like, upset me to some degree that we focus on so many things in nutrition and there's a lot of talk about nutritional deficiencies, but why, why are we not talking about this fiber more often? We should be. So I would like to expand on fiber because I know a lot of people think there's soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. And I know that a lot of people think that insoluble fiber just does nothing and you just need to find soluble fiber, which I disagree. I think insoluble fiber you know, helps soluble fiber to attach to slowly go down to meet those microbes. I would love to hear one of your favorite ways. Well, first of all, your take on the soluble and insoluble and the differences and how they aid each other. And then B, what are your favorite ways to consume fiber into your diet? Okay. So fiber, the fiber studies are based upon diet and in order to get this in your diet, you have to eat plants. So it's fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, legumes. All of these things have fiber. Mushrooms also have fiber. Mushrooms technically are not plants. They're fungi. Um, but like in my mind, they're honorary plants. I just kind of lump them in there. All right. So fiber is not hard to find. These are the foods that have it. And the key from my perspective is that all plants contain fiber. Fiber is like biochemically complex. So complex that I was a chemistry major in college and I have a no clue. But all plants have both soluble and insoluble fiber. It's not an isolated thing of just this and not that. 
And even these categories of soluble and insoluble, they're broad. These are broad categories. This is like saying protein, right? But protein comes in many different forms from many different sources. So there are many different sources of plant-based fiber. From my perspective, we need both. I completely agree with you. I think that we need both. But I also think in order to like have this, this argument, you have to isolate one or the other. And that's not the way that nature works. Nature is plants and plants have fiber. And that's what we need more of. Now, that being said, is there a place for supplements? And I would emphatically say yes. The answer is yes, there is a place for supplements. I think that place is that diet and lifestyle need to be the driving factor for our health. So let's not try to out-supplement our diet. Let's not like eat the way that I used to eat and then think that you can supplement your way to health. That's not going to work. You need to focus on diet and lifestyle first, but there is clear evidence in human clinical trials that a number of different gut health supplements can benefit both our microbes and us. So there is a place where the addition of these supplements can provide added benefit beyond what we do with our diet alone. So that to me is, I think, like the way that I approach this is quite simply eat more plants, eat more varieties of plants. We can talk about why that's important, but we eat more varieties of plants. And then if you feel inclined, top it off with a fiber supplement, which um, I personally take myself and I enjoy. I love that. So two more things on this topic. One, smoothies, because smoothies theoretically kind of get rid of the insoluble fiber. And two, um, cooking down the vegetables or I know raw could be harder on your gut. So how do you feel about those two options? Um, I think the important thing is to not just choose one. Okay. So like, I think the people who, uh, narrow down their diet to like just smoothies and nothing else, right. Or just fruit. Like to me, that's not an optimal way to approach this. So our body thrives on variety and the evidence on processing. And by the way, I just want to be clear on something. Processing is what we do when we shop our food, cook our food, any of these things. And that's completely natural, right? You're even processing your food when you chew it. So yeah. ultimately any food that gets into our body is processed on some level. For sure. That's different than ultra processed, where ultra processed is a food category and that food category involves basically food scientists figuring out how to take what was originally normal food and like completely transforming it into something else using chemicals that they have in a lab, right? Ultra processed, I have issues with. There may be some ultra processed foods that are completely fine, but I am concerned generally as a category in terms of their effect on our health. Processed foods. Um, Basically, the evidence would suggest that any choice that you make in terms of processing your food will affect, in a way, how it impacts your microbiome. So if you take the exact same food and you put it into a blender, it will impact you differently than if you ate it raw. If you eat a nut, it will impact you differently than if you eat it as a nut butter. If you cook a food, it will impact you differently than if you ate it raw. The cooking techniques can vary, you know, whether you fry it, which is typically unhealthy for the gut microbes. Versus if you were to steam it or whatever it may be, there's lots of choices. The point from my perspective is that these are differential effects on your microbiome. And there's not, aside from like, you know, I mentioned the frying, frying is problematic. But aside from that, I wouldn't say that there's this one superior choice that should be opted for over the others. Instead, I would say that we're better off mixing all these choices together. 
So it's okay to have smoothies, but don't make smoothies the only way that you eat your food. It's better to have smoothies that also like you, you eat salad sometimes. Sometimes you steam or you uh, grill or however you choose to consume your food, your food. We're raw. Okay, I'm going to ask you another question that aids the gut. Fermented food or probiotics? I see them as different things. So I see them as not uh, like there's a place for both. And there's choices of why you would choose one or the other or both. Probiotics, uh, from a supplement perspective, are concentrated microbes that have been proven to be beneficial to human health. And, um, and typically you are like, hopefully, I mean, the best approach is to get a probiotic that has been shown in studies to benefit you or for whatever issue you're trying to address. So like if it's constipation, there's a probiotic for that. If it's IBS. There's a probiotic for that. You choose the one that's designed for that and you take it at a therapeutic dose. And it's intended to basically like help to reshape your microbiome. Um, using like a concentrated amount of specific microbes. Fermented foods, we don't um, control specifically what microbes are there. A fermented food is an ecosystem of its own. So there are microbes that are transforming that food. In the process of transforming it, the flavor changes, but it also changes on a biochemical level. So as an example, uh, if we want to make sauerkraut, it's so simple. Yeah. Uh, I love sauerkraut. So it's so simple because you just take cabbage and the beauty and like amazing thing from a natural perspective is that on the cabbage already, the microbes are there. You don't need to like add, you know, a probiotic or add something. You just quite simply chop it up and you put it underwater in, uh, in a brine solution. And then you give it time. And during the days that pass, Different microbes play different roles and step up in different moments to help to transform this food where the end product, it tastes different, it's acidic, but it also has a whole lot of probiotics, a whole lot of living microbes. You've also transformed the fiber. You've unlocked new vitamins that weren't there previously. And you, in many cases, have made things like uh, polyphenols more bioavailable. In other cases, like example with sourdough you actually reduce the gluten contents by fermenting the food so the point is that fermented food is transformation of the food that delivers to us living microbes but also fiber and other things that we get from a uh, almost like a functional food so i see these as separate choices that can both play an important role in our gut health yeah absolutely we love gut health okay so fiber is the hero uh, what would you consider gluten, carbs, and dairy? Hit us with all three. Okay. Well, um, gosh, I feel like there's a little bit of a discussion here. Gluten, carbs, and dairy. Um, let me start with the two easier ones, which are carbs and dairy. Carbs. It's important to um, make sure that we are being clear on what we mean when we say this. So because uh, carbohydrates in general as a category are required for us to be healthy and you can't like completely eliminate them and, and be a healthy human. That's just not possible. Like you will ultimately fail in terms of your body. And there are complex carbohydrates and fiber is a complex carbohydrate. And these are incredibly healthy carbs. When we say carbs, I think really what we're referring to are refined carbohydrates, which are 
um, excessively processed or ultra-processed sugar and um, some forms of flour, like white bleached flour. Um, those are refined carbs. And when you break it down so much, break down the food, the, the grain or the sugar so much, it um, is a bit unnatural and it creates food that then are like it actually damages our microbiome. So from my perspective, refined carbohydrates is the issue. Sugar and white flour is the issue. And we need to be cautious with these foods. We certainly don't want to overly emphasize them. All right, dairy. Dairy is like any other food. If we were to describe food, um, like to me, I don't really want to vilify food. Yeah. Because the issue is that there is a hierarchy and there is a place where dairy fits in. Or you could say it's really about comparing it to other choices, like this versus this. And there's always an answer. And there's a place where dairy is a healthy choice. And there's a place where dairy is an unhealthy choice. And this is true of almost any food. True. There are many forms of dairy. Fermented forms of dairy are clearly more healthy. So we're talking about things like kefir and yogurt, um, some forms of cheese. Those things are clearly more healthy. Then there's also junk food dairy. Um, so from my perspective, like dairy doesn't have fiber. It's hard for me to recommend dairy globally speaking in the absence of fiber. That being said, when, um, a person is consuming dairy, the superior choice is fermented dairy. That's what you want to opt for if you're going to be consuming dairy and then gluten. Okay. Gluten is a protein. Um, it is found in wheat, barley, and rye. It um, contributes to sort of the stickiness that you get when you, for example, make a dough. This is why these particular ingredients are so good for making bread, right? Because you can get them that stickiness that you need to form the dough to make a bread, to make a loaf. So gluten is clearly a problem for people that have celiac disease, which is about 1% of Americans. There are some places in the United States where almost everyone is gluten-free. <laughs> yeah. You happen to live in one of them, which is Los Angeles. Ta-da! Yeah. Um, and this is not to say that gluten-free is implicitly unhealthy. Um, you can be healthy and be gluten-free. But the problem is that many people who are going gluten-free, they probably don't need to. And in the process of going gluten-free, they discard whole grains from their diet. And whole grains are microbiome superfoods, high in fiber, resistant starches, polyphenols. You are feeding your gut bugs and you consume whole grains. And if you think the fiber deficiency is bad, where I said that 95% of Americans are inadequate in their fiber intake, it's actually worse with whole grains. 98% of Americans are inadequate in their whole grain intake. Now, I'm not, this does not mean that I'm here to advocate for people, you know, eating junk food, whole grains. But I do think that whole grains, when done properly, are an important part of a balanced diet. And we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater where we say, I'm going to go gluten-free. And then by going gluten-free, you stop consuming whole grains because the main whole grains that people eat are the ones that contain gluten. Yeah. So I guess the point from my perspective is you can be perfectly healthy and be gluten-free. That's not a problem. But if you're going to do that, you need to make sure that you get more quinoa, sorghum, taff, uh, amaranth 
these gluten-free whole grains, make sure you're make sure you're making an effort to keep those in your diet so that you can get your whole grains to feed those microbes. I think that was very well said. Too much of anything, not anything, but if you go full tilt in any of these directions, you're going to miss something. So I think that was very well said. Now to go a little bit woo-woo because, you know, as much as we could do the diet stuff, that's great. But I know that, you know, you're big on, maybe not big on, but you looked at a constipation study that said breath work is good for gut health. Yeah, I'm, I am I am big on these things because um, actually, Lissa, in my career as uh, a clinician, the most amazing transformations that I witnessed were not the people that I increased their fiber. Yes, that was important. Don't get me wrong. But um, actually, the uh, brain-gut connection to me was the most powerful way for me to, to help my patients. And that's different for different people. But as a quick example, before we jump into the breath work for constipation, this is a manifestation of the brain-gut connection. It's important for people to understand how you feel, stress, and unresolved emotional issues in your life, which could include trauma. These things actually impact your gut microbiome. Yeah. And the problem when you have, like, it's one thing to have a moment and we might get queasy or get bloated or get nauseated in that moment where you're stressed, right? Like you're going to go speak publicly. Maybe you get, maybe that happens. That's not the same as when you have an unresolved emotional issue that is basically 24 seven. And I've witnessed this throughout my career and working with patients. And when you discover that there's something there, perhaps from childhood, maybe not, maybe like sometimes it's like, you're just not happy in your career, not happy in a relationship. When you discover that that's there, the most important thing is to understand that this actually is connected to the physical manifestation of health. Yeah. So I'm not a clinical psychologist and I don't pretend to be. Um, I wouldn't be the one to actually deliver the therapy for these issues, but bringing attention to it and then getting them to the right place so that they could get therapy for this issue was uh, empowering for these people because basically what you would find is that in many cases they were doing everything right, eating the right food, sleeping, exercising, they've read all my books, they've done everything. Yeah. And, the, um, and the thing that was holding them back that they hadn't made that connection was this. And once you treat this, they're like a rocket ship to health. They just take off. Mm. And so spectacular to watch. Now, this is a minor version of, the, of what I just described, which is that our breath, our breath work, our meditation, um, focus, these types of things can powerfully impact our digestion and even the motility of our intestines. And in this particular study that you're referring to, Basically, they had people initiate a breathwork protocol. Um, now, it was quite a bit. They were doing, uh, I would believe it was 30 minutes a day, and I think it was five days a week. So that's quite a bit. Um, but that being said, I think it's more proof of principle than anything that by doing belly breathing for 30 minutes a day, that with no other changes, no dietary change or any other lifestyle change, they improved their constipation. They were more regular. They had more spontaneous bowel movements and they reduced their digestive symptoms, which included bloating. I'm so happy that there's doctors like you, textbook doctors that 
obviously, you know, break down that food heals and that also believe in this stuff. And people think like the word trauma is like another woo-woo term, but it's also like scientific. When an event happens, it doesn't need to be some like knockdown ugly thing. It could be, you know, like a dog jumping and it somehow like scares you or something or like a friend being mean to you in high school that it leaves like an imprint on the body and all these things like start to build up when becoming unresolved. So your patients where you, you know, try all these diet things and nothing seems to shift. And obviously there's something more emotional going on there. Um, where, where do you kind of recommend them to, to resolve that? It really depends on the individual person. It depends on the issue and the individual person, what their needs are. But, you know, as a global example, it could be working with a clinical psychologist with doing cognitive behavioral therapy. There's actually tremendous evidence for cognitive behavioral therapy as a strategy to um, improve digestive health issues, including your old bowel syndrome. So, and I've witnessed this firsthand. I've seen patients who just with this alone, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, I've witnessed patients who go from having massive out of control symptoms to tightly controlled, very minor, not really impacting their life. So, I mean, that to me would be like the main approach that I leveraged. There's evidence that um, hypnosis can be beneficial. Um, there's even evidence with like more basic stuff. So like yoga. Yoga is a beautiful, a beautiful thing from my perspective because it brings together physical exercise, like weight-bearing exercise with stretching, with meditation. And so it doesn't, when you combine those three things, it really doesn't surprise me that there's actual evidence that by simply doing yoga, you can improve your role bowel syndrome. Yeah. This is so funny hearing all this at this time in my life. I just took up like serious meditation two weeks ago. I've been doing it every day. Uh, over Christmas, I signed up for like a TM course to learn it. And it's, it's the timing of everything is, is, is divine. I will say that it's funny. So I do these podcasts selfishly so that I, I could learn. Yeah. It's so interesting though, how that happens because sometimes I, I am convinced that like there's clearly more going on than just what we see. Sure. Um, and I've had many moments throughout my life, both involving, so my dad passed in 2020, like involving dad surrounding that, but also just sort of globally people coming into my life at the exact moment that I needed them. It's all right. It makes me, uh, it's, it's stuff that obviously I'm a man of science, right? I sit here and I cite science all day, but I also can, um, see with confidence that there's more to it than just this science. Yeah. It's, um, it's beautiful and powerful. And I think it's great. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. This has been an absolutely incredible episode and I'm so excited to share it with our community. Um, I would love for you to tell people uh, where they could find you. So uh, you can find me, my social media is the gut health MD. You'll find me on Instagram, um, Facebook, and technically I'm on TikTok, but you have to add an underscore at the end. So the gut health MD underscore, um, because I think some 12 year olds took my account. 12 year olds, bless them. Maybe they're, they're like the, the 12 year old you that knew exactly. Maybe they're the future me. That's right. Yeah. My website is theplantfedgut.com. On the website, I want to encourage all the listeners to go and sign up for my email list. It's completely free. That's actually my favorite way to communicate with people because then I can like really get into the details of stuff. I love taking studies, new research and breaking it down and sharing it in a way that's actionable with my community. And so we have a community of like 170,000. 
there. So if you want to join that, go to theplantfedgut.com and sign up for my email list. I have courses. Um, many people uh, love my courses. I get amazing reviews and feedback on them. Um, I also want to mention that we are talking about fiber supplements. So I am launching a new company in January called 38 Terra. My solution for fiber is solved. Well, tell us more about it. Okay, so um, let me start with this. Regardless of the diet that you ate, you could be vegan. You could eat a high fiber diet. Time and time and time again witnessed firsthand the benefits of a fiber supplement for my patients. To the point that I would say probably 95% of people who come to see me for various gut issues, this is a part of what I did is give them fiber supplements. And in many cases, like a shockingly high percentage of the time, people would just be completely better with this alone, which blew me away. Again, just to be clear, I think diet and lifestyle is essential, but I also think there's a place for this and, um, and it can help people a lot. So, but the problem that I always had was that I was frustrated because number one, I felt like I could create a formula that was much better than what was commercially available. Number two, the stuff that you, that you can like find at CVS or your local drugstore, I have no clue whether or not that's a clean product. Yeah, likely no. Right. I mean, there's, there's no way for us to know whether or not it's been sprayed with glyphosate. And so, you know, there's no transparency there. And that, that was one of my big issues is like, so as my platform grew, I had more and more people coming forward and asking me, Dr. B, which fiber supplements you recommend? Well, clearly I believe in fiber supplements, but I'm not ready to recommend one because I'm not comfortable with these issues. So it led me, uh, three years ago, almost three years ago to start this process of creating my own. And I spent three years in research and development. I personally was the one like making the decisions from in terms of the formula. And um, now finally, I'm ready to go public with this on January 15th. And I'm launching this company. The company is called 38 Terra. So 38-T-E-R-A, which stands for 38 trillion. And the first product is called Daily Microbiome Nutrition or DMN. And basically what this is, is this is the fiber supplement that I always wished I could have had for my patients. It's seven different plants. And basically from those seven different plants, you get fiber, you get resistant starches, and you get polyphenols. And those are the three major types of prebiotics that feed the microbiome. So you get all of them in this, in a convenient to use powder that simply you mix with water, it tastes like berry flavored. The other thing that's really important with this is that there's like, basically I'm doing third party testing with the product to prove that it is what I say it is, to prove that there's not something hidden in there. It's low FODMAP certified. So if you have gut issues, this is a unique form of fiber supplement because it actually will make you feel completely fine. It won't make you feel bad when you take it. And last but not least, probably the most important part is that the ingredients that I'm choosing I'm using at therapeutic doses. So one of the big issues that many people may not even be aware of in the supplement industry is that like you do a little sprinkle of some ingredient and you have a trivial amount that isn't doing anything. And you go, look at this ingredient that I just gave you. Yeah. It's not the same as an ingredient that has a human clinical trial to show you what it's going to do. And then actually delivering that ingredient at that dose that was proven in the human clinical trial. So that's actually what, this is the reason why it took three years. It would have been really easy if I just said, throw a couple of things of fiber together, we'll call it a day. No, no, I wanted to like basically 
find the right ingredients to put together that would make this product, make it low FODMAP, make it clinically proven and make it clean. So January 15th, uh, 38 Terra Daily Microbiome Nutrition. Super pumped. And where could people buy it? 38terra.com? So you go to 38terra.com. Maybe we can include that in the show notes, but 38terra.com is the website. Um, if you if it's before January 15th, you can sign up for the wait list. We have a lot of people that are excited about this. Um, so get early on in the line, you get early access. And then after January 15th, you basically just go there and you can buy it. That's so amazing. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, I'm super pumped too. I mean, this has been, you know, three years of hard work. And like, to me, um, what's exciting is it still does come back to that essential mission, which is for me to do things that can help people live healthier lives. And whether, the, and there's just like in my mind, these are all just expressions of the core mission. So whether it be me sharing on social media or me spending a year writing a book or speaking on a podcast or creating a new uh, fiber supplement that is the fiber supplement I always wished I had as a gastroenterologist. Like all of these things are just expressions of that same essential mission. And anyone who's out there listening right now, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing and you can do any of these things. They're all sitting there on the table for you to choose what works for you and makes you happy. I love that. And is a beautiful way to uh, end this. The choice is yours and yours alone. That's exactly right. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Bulsowitz. This is an amazing episode. I'm so excited to share it. You know, I'm going to share it around January 15th. There we go. That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs>